Hello and welcome everybody back to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. How's it going, John? It's going all right. You know, you know, we've had the pro tour this past weekend. Everything's going great. Uh, and this is episode thirty-four. More or less. Pro tour, <laughs> yeah, it's about pro tour Kaladesh and some announcements that were made today. Because Wednesday is a great day to announce things. Yeah, we liked that last week though when we delayed a day. That's <laughs> some nice juicy announcements on Thursday. But no, yeah. Um, no, no catchy, no catchy title today. It's just like, eh, yeah, stuff happened. Yeah, you know, you can't always be punny, but when you can be punny, always be punny, always yes. be casting. Anyways, um, yes. not a lot on the eyes on the community this week. Um, I went to a PPTQ this weekend and made the top four. That's all I can think of. Yeah, and uh, also we had the wrap up. We kind of knew what was coming with it, but the wrap up to the Kaladesh story. Yes, we did have the final chapter of the Kaladesh story before we have a month of other stories before E3 Revolt starts. And uh, can I just say that I love, you know it's been out for a while, but I love, love the uh, the Kaladesh Consulate Twitter account that Watsi runs. Oh, yes. They had to remind people, like, yes, yes, this is canon, people, but it's, it's great. It's KLD Consulate on oh, Twitter. It, it is fantastic. I follow them. I've tweeted at them a few times hoping to get some responses, but no mas. Yeah, oh, was, there was one earlier today. It was, it was hilarious. I'll find it again. But uh, there was one where it's um, can Dovin Bond find the uh, find the flaws in my life, and it's like Dovin Bond is not available for personal calls or something like that. <laughs> That's great. I'm just assuming that it's Allison again. That's all I'm. Assuming. I am almost positive. Oh, okay, here I got it. Someone uh. Someone asked, we need to make sure Tezzeret has our best interest in mind. Can we see his birth certificate? And the oh, comment said, we're unable to meet this request. We won't make any further comments about it. It's like, oh, man, oh, why? <laughs> yeah, someone went there with that. But eh. no, I'm actually really excited to see where they go with the story further uh, in Aether Revolt. But we won't hear about that for a while now. Yep, because next we're going to get stories probably about some of the Commander 2016 stuff because Commander 2016 spoilers start next week. Oh, my God, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm just excited to see what they do with the four color commander. That's going to be the most interesting thing. I've had I've had conversations. Are are they going to do straight four color? Are they going to do like a three color with an off color activated ability? What are they going to do? And I think it's probably going to be multiple. I think they're going to have like three per deck maybe to try and fit different things. But we'll see. We'll get there. Yeah, they they're the ones who design the magic cards. I have no no inkling of ever becoming a magic card or a game designer. So I'll let those guys. They get paid to do that. I just play. They generally know what they're doing. Although I've had a few conversations with people where I think that they made the equipment mistake with vehicles, with the vehicles maybe being a little too good. But we'll see. I mean, well, yeah. For right now, they they seem decent, but we'll have to see where it goes in the future. I mean, they they set the bar high right out the gate because I mean, you kind of they they kind of needed to. Yeah, but I mean, Smuggler's Copter is an insane magic card. It's not a bad card. So. It's uh, Fleet World Cruiser. That is oh, yeah. a good card. Yep. All the vehicles are great. Like I opened Fleet World. I I drafted Smuggler's Copter uh, on Monday, and it was good. It did it did good things in my games. But <laughs> what people were worried about is what would happen at the Pro Tour, and we had the Pro Tour this weekend down in sunny Honolulu, Hawaii, um, which is in and the the Honolulu Convention Center is right off of Waikiki Beach. And let me tell you that that building is gorgeous. Oh yeah, like they actually did some like location style shots and they need to do more of it yes like listen rich hagen or anybody from from uh wizards who listens to this if you want someone on location for stuff in nashville just just give me a call okay (laughs) you'll tell them the hot spots i'm literally here (laughs) literally in nashville i can see the convention center literally in nashville but but porto kaladesh was sweet um should we just go ahead and jump the gun because everybody should know who won already Oh, yeah, sure, go for it. So the winner was uh, Shoto Yasuoka, um, Hall of Famer as of last year, and uh, he won with – he made he made the top eight with – he went 13-2-1, if I recall correctly. I believe so. He was the number two seed. Yes. And he won the whole top eight with the new top eight structure with a Grixis control list. Because Control's control is dead. dead long, long live, live control. control. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, draw goes back, boys and girls. But the the best part about the deck, there's a couple, actually a couple of funny things about the deck. So word started going around that he built it after. Oh, so we should also mention that before this, they like you mentioned Shota got inducted in the Hall of Fame last year. They did this year's inductees 
right before um, the event. Yeah, so they was, do the new inductees oh, the night before the Pro Tour. Yeah, um, the fall ones. So that was uh, Owen and Yuya? Yes. Yeah, so Owen and Yuya got in. Af- right after that event, the uh, the induction ceremony, dinner, and dancing, go check out some people's vlogs. It's kind of funny uh, on that one. Uh, apparently, Shota built the deck that night, and then right before, before deck submission deadline, like built a that, Pro Tour winning deck the night. That is insane. It, it's insane. So that he confirmed it after uh, the Pro Everyone. Tour, and when he was talking with BBD, and said, and BBD was like, "All right, so no, people no, BDM, taking your deck, not BBD, BDM. Oh, BDM, yeah, BDM, oh, yeah, sorry, too many BDX." <laughs> uh, so BDM asked him, "What advice do you have for players looking to take this deck to FNM or an event?" And he said, "Don't." <laughs> straight, straight up said, "Don't." <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Basically, don't try this at home. Yeah, because here's the thing. Like, I was watch, reading an SCG article about it, and the the art the the uh, the author was literally like, "Do not take this list to your FNM because you are not Shota Yasuoka. The oh, man yeah, is a master." He like they were saying in coverage, he he is like a chess master with this stuff. He is thinking two three turns ahead of you. Yeah, like, he has ridiculous. an idea what can happen with your deck, and if you do, and he already sees like a couple lines of play. And another thing is too, it's an insanely slow control deck. You're not Shota. Don't do it. Also, it's a very heavily metagame deck. Yeah, he was, he was looking at the metagame and going, there's going to be a lot of aggressive decks. So I'm going to put in, you know, a bunch of these, like, one and two ofs. Like, there's, like, a one of Essence Extraction in the main deck. There's, like, an Unlicensed Disintegration. There's, like, one or two, you know, Void Shatters or whatever it was. I don't have the exact there's, Yeah, there's there's three Void Shatters. There's two Unlicensed Integration. And, like, he had, one like, a Transgress the Mind in the main and a Transgress... The mine in the sideboard, just in case, I guess, hedging against big decks or gear hulks, which, by the way, gear hulks are great. Yeah. Especially Torrential Gear Hulk, which went from an $8 card to a $30 card over the yeah, weekend the, because people mas- saw it's insane. The Masterpiece, I think, went, is up to like 150 last I checked. Something insane. And yeah. it was like a, that was like a $40 card before the weekend, too. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm still kind of like, like floored that, that I missed. How good Torrential Gear Hulk was, but you know. I mean, I think everyone saw Instant's like, oh, it was good Instant. Oh, also a surprisingly decent card. I mean, it's great and limited, but Glimmer of Genius. Yeah, I mean, Scry Two Draw Two is really good. And then Incidental Energy, because a lot of cards have energy now. Oh yeah, especially with all the Ether Hubs that are running around and these blue control decks. Like especially like the finals was Grixis Control against Jeskai Control. Glimmer of Genius played a Fun. huge role in both of them, and so did Ether Hub. Fun fact, though, Shota didn't have an Ether Hub in his deck. I thought he had like one or two. Nope. I'm looking at his list. Didn't have an Ether Hub. Huh. Interesting. Yep. Oh, I think that's right because he built his mana base around uh, Evolving Wilds. So that's what it was. Which, speaking of, there was not many copies of Evolving Wilds around this weekend. No. Like no, everyone, everyone's leaning on Aether Hub. Which, to be fair, I think a lot of these decks have incidental ener- energy popping up, so Aether Hub actually is Aether Ether. I don't know, I've just said it two different ways there. But no, um, it definitely pops up where, you know, you'd want that. Plus, with the new uh, Fastlands that we have, the need for, you know, turn one, Evolving Wilds, Fet, Crack Evolving Wilds, go. You can just play a Fastland and have access to both your colors, and it's not as strenuous on the mana base as it used to be. And you can play a one-drop, like you can play... You can play a Thraben Inspector, you can play a Inventor's Apprentice, you can play all these other one-mana spells, and then still be able to do things later on. Yeah, looking at the top eight decks, like the decks from the top eight, he was the only person with Evolving Wilds in the deck. Uh, that's right, because none of the Green Black Delirium decks made it. That's right. Yep. Right, yeah. so... Yeah, those are, like, and even then, with eight wins, Kyle, I think it's Boggums, or B-O-G-G-E-M-E-S. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. Yeah, I know. But he went eight and two with a standard deck, green, Black Green Delirium, two Evolving Wilds. Only two in a Delirium yeah. deck. So well, like, I think in the Delirium deck, too, you've got Vessel of Nascency and Grapple with the Past that help you fill up your oh, graveyard. And you're going to hit lands in there eventually, so yeah, you're it's less stuff. important there. Oh, yeah, obviously. But it's just one of those things where like, where it was ubiquitous last season, and especially with just... like, the Bant decks and all those kind of things. We have, another, we have way better dual land uh, sources out there. Well, let's go ahead and talk about a few of the top eight decks because we had Shoujo's Grixis control list. 
we had the other top finisher, which was Carlos Ramal with his Jeskai control list. Former which, world champ, back on back in the top. Yeah, man, I I saw him a few a few times walking around GP Atlanta, which he won, by the way. So he he's definitely on a tear of, yeah. as of late. He won G yeah he wins GPL Atlanta and then gets on a plane, goes out to Hawaii, and then gets second. Which is pretty in, good in the Pro Tour. I mean, he's now at the 250 Pro Point limit for Hall of Fame consideration. Oh, he is. Yeah, he was at 246 before the Pro Tour. Interesting. I don't think he'll uh like he definitely needs to start putting up some more recent stuff because like you know World Champ I think it was like 10 plus years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, like 2002 that. World Champ, and I don't know which number PT the PT top eight this is. But yeah, so. among the other decks, there was a deck that is my least favorite deck out of the entire tournament, and it's not because it's not a good deck. I also I also don't think it's a good deck, but it's the Etherworks Marvel deck. Ian, what is the goal of the Etherworks Marvel deck? <laughs> See, this guy right here doesn't like it, but I think it's I think it's an okay deck. But anyway, so Aetherworks, uh, the Aetherworks decks, uh, there are actually some varying brand like flavors. I guess you, you could refer to them as uh, because they're the one that ended up making the top eight was at the hands of Matt Nass. First hashtag, top eight, by the way. Hashtag Team Shorts. Um, <laughs> he was on the Teamer version of that. There was also. A red green version. There a was a green, version. yeah. There's a green blue bant version. Um, a bunch of other ones. This was another one of the breakout cards of the tournament. But what the the Aetherworks deck, like John likes to say, it's a glass cannon because it kind of is. Um, so Aetherworks Marvel is a four mana legendary artifact that says whenever a permanent you control is put into a graveyard, you get an energy. You can tap, pay six energy. Look at the top six cards of your library. You may cast a card from among them without paying its mana cost. Put it on the put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So what this deck is looking to do is slam a turn for Aetherworks Marvel. Already have six energy ready to go off of stuff like a tune with Aether and uh, Glass Blower's Puzzle Knot and Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, and those help you get that down. You I mean heck, you can even put Aether Meltdown, which um, gets you two energy, and you can put on a creature or a vehicle, which is nice. Um, that's Same the one into blue. Energy. Yeah, and that's the, the Aether Meltdown, the one into blue enchantment, or with Flash enchant it. Um, you get two energy, and enchanted permanent gets minus four, minus zero. Because it can go on vehicles or creatures. Right, so crew it up, and you're already at a negative two, negative, or negative one, negative three snare, or the smuggler's copter, so enjoy that. But no, it's looking to slam an Aetherworks Marvel and then instantly tap it, use the six energy, look at the top six cards. And remember, it says you may cast a card. Now, what do we have in standard right now that cares about casting? Big, dumb Eldrazi. They're not really dumb, but it's Ulamog and Emrakul. The deck plays four of each. Yeah. It also plays some Gl Glint Nest Crane, which is the one, one in a blue, one, three flyer. Bird, uh, when it enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards. It's basically... Augur of Bolas, which used to look for, was just instants. Instants of sorceries. And this one looks for a artifact. You can maybe reveal an artifact from among them, put it in your hand, put the rest on your bottom in, in any order. Um, it has a couple things. I don't even know. Does, does it have scrying in this one? Uh, this, well, the puzzle, oh, the glass puzzle plan. on scry. No, no, the, the team or Aetherworks has the contingency plan, which it is that. It does have contingency plan, yeah. Yeah, it's the, the one, it, all right, it's the one in the blue sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library, put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order. So you can basically take a turn off of generator energy uh, to dig for Aetherworks Marvel. Or be, you can, if you get lucky, you could be like, oh, look, Aetherworks Marvel and write it. That's like an Emrakul. And I just put them back and I'm going to draw Aetherworks, tap it, and boop, there comes the Emrakul. Yeah. The deck is very, like, it is, it has a side backup plan of hard casting Emrakul with um, her. Uh, pseudo delirium. So, like the team versus play cathartic reunion to help put things in their graveyard and stuff like that. Yeah, this one actually, the one Matt asked doesn't have that here. Okay, but there are versions that I know that have cathartic reunion. But. Oh yeah, and he, he was playing also four glimmer of genius in the sideboard. It, did, oh, it has Kozlak's return and stuff like that. Two with a third to grab some lands and stuff. But yeah, it's it's looking to just cheat out big fat Eldrazi. Yeah. So and get your cast trigger on it, like yeah. Getting a turn four Ulamog is pretty backbreaking for nearly any deck. That's definitely true. 
exiling two of your permanents on turn, like say you're on turn three, like you just went turn three, pass a turn to your opponent, it's their turn four. They play Earthworks Marvel, tap it down, they go Ulamog, exile two of your lands. You're now facing down a 10 10 that's going to start milling you 20. And you yeah. basically just look at that and you're like, well, scoop next game. That's what it's, that's the goal of it. It's a very combo deck for sure. But John, tell me why I don't like it though. So I know this comes, this is weird coming from somebody who plays Storm. Um, which is also a very glass cannon combo deck. But my biggest issue with the Marvel deck is not that it's necessarily slow. It's not slow for the format. Like, turn four combo is definitely, you know, something that you can do because a turn four Ulamog doesn't necessarily, quote, end the game on the spot. It effectively does, but it doesn't. Same with the turn four, turn four Emrakul. Like, a turn four Emrakul doesn't, quote, end the game, but for all intents and purposes, it does. My biggest problem is that it is, it's way too just... It's way too janky. It just has way too many moving parts for my taste. Um, I also just think that it it involves just playing poorly. Like, this isn't a deck that I think that a skilled player will be able to play and, you know, get that many more percentage points over the bad players. And the bad players will play this deck and just play it terribly. So, as an example, I played it in, in the first round of the Swiss at this PPTQ I went to. Uh, and then in game one, I crushed them pretty easily because they never found a Marvel. Um, I was playing a deck we'll talk about later, which Ian and I both love. Mm-hmm. And then in game two, like, they cast an Emrakul. I kill it. I They cast an Ulamog, and I win with seven cards in my library and at ten life. And it's like, even with your best, even with you casting two Eldrazi on me, I still won the game. Just because the deck doesn't do anything. It does a whole lot of nothing, and then when you whiff, it is backbreaking. Yeah, it's... It's not like Infect, where if you go for it, oh, well, you, you got my one Infect guy, well, here's my other Infect guy. It's not like Storm, where, you know, yes, I am relying on the top of my deck, but I at least have some other ability to, you know, make it so that I can try to go off again in that same turn. No, with Marvel, you're effectively one and done unless you're way late in the game and you can cast a second Marvel. Yeah. It's... I don't know, I... I thought the deck was very cool. It's it's definitely a fresh take, given the fact we were having, you know, Delirium decks last standard where, you know, yeah, you're looking to cheat out and them are cool, but this is a completely different way and you can get out quick and you're not just like, you know, dumping everything in your graveyard. So it's like, oh my God, let me track. I have seven things in the graveyard. Okay, I get minus seven on the casting cost and I only have to pay six mana. And no, nah, I think it's it's good. I mean, I'd, I'd obviously top eight at a pro tour. The other big thing is that 20% of the field was on it, or something absurd at that. But the reason why they were doing that was because they wanted a deck that had the ability to, you know, 10-0 the standard portion because it had a high variance. Because it could just as easily 0-10. And that, to me, is not the sign of a good deck. Like, any deck that's 20% of the field is probably going to make top 8. Yeah, so besides Matt Nass, there was a red-green Aetherworks deck at eight wins there was two green blue at seven wins a red green at seven wins a bunch a chunk more of teamer and stuff and it really starts you see a huge swath of aetherworks decks at six wins yeah so those are ones that went six and four in the swiss so yeah you're gonna get some uh you're like it it was enough that they were like okay if this deck can get me a positive like six or more wins and I just have to string together a couple good drafts, or maybe be like, okay, this deck can at least get me eight and two or seven and three, and you know maybe have an outside chance. Another thing we need to mention though is this was an incredibly large pro tour. I think the number was four eighty or something like that. Yeah, so you were basically dead at X four. Yeah, usually usually you could like kind of possibly sneak in on breakers at X four in a normal pro tour because they're usually like two hundred fifty ish people, three hundred. But the additional extra amount of people, you hit that fourth loss, you were just done. Yeah, there was actually a clean break where the eighth person was at 12-3-1, and one, and the ninth place person was at 12-4. and four. Yeah. So even with 6 owing a draft, going 6-4 and four did not guarantee you getting into the top eight. Yeah, so another, another cool little deck. So we already mentioned Carlos Mal. He had Jeskai Control, so I mean, it was a control mirror in that finals. Yeah, and the Jeskai Control deck was, I think, the show, how many... Um, Radiant Flames was Shota main decking because I know Carlos. I think Carlos had like three in his main deck just for uh, the, just for the aggro decks. Yeah, Shota had two in the main, one in the board, um, and Carlos had only three in his deck, all three in the main. Yeah, that could kind of give you an idea of what their expected metagame was like. 
remember, a lot of aggro decks. Remember, kids, if you want to just pick up a control deck, don't pick it up and take it to a tournament. Pick it up, get reps, practice it, figure out what's important to counter and kill, then go take it to a tournament. Also, try to predict, predict the metagame, because if you run into a tournament where everyone's on a control deck, those Radiant Flames in your hand are dead, and your opponents are going to have be having the gates. You know what's funny? He had a quarantine field in his deck, too. It's so cool. Yeah, I'm happy that a good card. But, I mean, like, we we, like, we saw that those games with him go so long that, like, he if he top decks it or anything like that, you could just be like, and exile six different things because you could have, like, enough mana to pay the double X cost. Oh, yeah. So let me just pay, like, 14 mana, and I, it's ridiculous. Among but the other top Gideon's eight, back. Gideon is back. back Gideon is a good card. Like, he's good in control, he's good in aggro. He's he's really good. Yeah, so you saw play, actually, the, the guy who finished number one in the Swiss was Makis Matsuokas from Greece with a red-white tokens deck. Yeah, there were three uh, variants of red-white in the top eight alone. We Because there was red-white vehicles, there was red-white tokens, yep. and then and there was... Lishi Tian was on... You could kind of call it wet Mardu. Well, it was Mardu. It was, was it playing. Was four, it was four, it was four color, not green. Basically, the only the only blue being ceremonious rejection, which surprisingly enough, a lot of decks that had Aether Hub and had a incidental energy production were sticking four ceremonious rejections in their sideboard because I'm assuming these teams tested against Aetherworks decks and like, look, I just want a silver bullet against the artifact. Which ceremonious rejection is the one blue counter target colorless spell. Yeah. It's fair. I mean, even you can let them get their Aetherworks and then blow their energy and then go, okay, okay counter your Emmer cool. You still get the trigger, but counter it. Because yeah. remember, they're casting it. Yeah. I think that's a bad idea, personally, Wait, but can, I can understand you can counter why that, they right? did it. Judge, you can counter that? Counter what? An Emmer cool cast off of yeah. that? Yeah, because you activate the ability. It says pick a card. You put Emmer cool on the stack. The trigger goes on the stack. You can rejection yeah. the Emmer cool, and then the trigger resolves. Yep, cool. I was just excited. I was excited to see Lishi Tian had a Sky Sovereign in his sideboard. Oh, Sky Sovereign's a great card. There are some of the vehicles decks that are that were main decking it previously. I think they took it out because they were expecting a little bit more aggression. So yeah. they just boop, took it out, put something else in. Well, uh, Ben Hull's Red White Vehicles deck had one in the main. Yeah. And that's how he won the uh, the first game of the top eight, if I recall correctly, where he went Thopter, crew a Smuggler's Copter, Smuggler's Copter, crew a Sky Sovereign Attack. Yep, just how uh, just, <laughs> just how, how drew it up. Just how Richard Garfield intended magic to be played. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but so so another cool deck that was there um, was actually one of the cool decks from last standard, but it took an interesting twist. Um, so the Fever Visions deck. Yes. Minus the Fever Visions, uh, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. So it's blue red spells by Pierre Dejean, and it's playing four Dynavolt Tower. Which is the three mana artifact. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you get two energy. You can then. It also has a activated ability of tap, pay five energy. Dynavolt Tower deals three damage to target creature or player. Or as I was saying, bolt you for three. Yeah, it's a really That's sweet right. deck. Although, I, as I understand it, because I didn't, I haven't watched all the Swiss rounds of Standard, but apparently Pierre had a hard time winning game ones, and so he oh. sideboards into his thing in the ice. Um, and Nibbles of Frost package, and just two O sideboarded games against yeah, I was, people. I was watching Gabby on stream today, and she was doing the Pro Tour Gauntlet. Got this. Oh yeah, by the way, on Magic Online, if you guys play, you can actually play a selection of these decks. Um, they have the Pro Tour Gauntlet back up. But yeah, someone was Gabby was last and like, so what was that quote he was saying? So apparently he's like, yeah, my bad work matchups are like uh, Marvel decks and vehicle, basically every deck. <laughs> so. Also, don't take his deck directly to a thing. You need to tweak it because, yeah, it's it's. there were a lot of times she went up against the Jeskai deck, the Jeskai control deck, and she was sitting with, like, three Gal... She was sitting with, like, two Galvanic Bombardment in hand, uh, yeah. Lightning Axe in hand, and those target only creatures, and her opponent wasn't playing creatures. Yeah, really don't bad. do that, kids. Uh, I know that Zach no, Elsick but... was on a version of the deck that was Jeskai Dynavolt Tower. Yeah, um, and that was... The I believe was part of the brainchild from Travis Wu, as yeah, the chat was so eager to uh, tell everybody. Yes, um, <laughs> yeah, he, they were they were on they were on Jeskai Dynavolt Tower because so Dynavolt Tower is is another one of the breakout cards. Although I don't think it spiked nearly as hard as Marvel no. or Gearhulks did. No, no, it and even even with a uh, saffron olive stream the other day about it, 
No, I was just joking when I tweeted out the oh this one's gonna jump, but no, it didn't. It's it's yeah. a fun deck. If you if you had the blue red fevered visions deck from last standard, I know actually one of the versions still had fevered visions in it. Yeah, I think somebody um, asked um, Zach Elsick on Twitter if they would put fevered visions in the deck, and I think he said no. It was actually absurdly bad in the control matchup. Yeah, because you don't want to give control decks more cards, extra cards. No. Yeah, but but if you had your blue red visions deck from last standard. Dust it off, spruce it up. Unfortunately, you need two, two torrential gear hulks for it, so have fun paying fifty bucks for that. Hey. Um, just crack the other, the pack. Just crack the packs. Yeah, the other top eight deck was um, blue white flash, where it was basically just you know spell quellers and you know Av- Archangel Avison, who's still a good card, played in the Jeskai control deck by the way as an as an additional finisher, and it's just it's just a it's basically just the blue white spirits deck or the band company deck without green. And you just play these, you know, selfless spirits and these flyers and reflector mage and you beat people over the head with it. Hey John. So besides the top eight decks, cause they don't really show this, but decks that went nine and one in the Swiss in standard. Yeah. There were three of them. Can you guess what uh, archetypes they were? Um, sh- it wasn't Shota cause Shota went like eight, one and one. Oh, no, no, I'm just talking. There's there. I mean, besides the top eight decks. Oh, besides three. the top eight decks, the decks that went eight, and, that yeah, went besides, nine and one. There were three decks that went nine and one that oh, I'm geez. seeing on this list. Um, guess was, guess they're a uh, the, the was know. one black green delirium. Nope. No black green delirium. Um. Nope. Those were eight wins. Uh, Marvel. Nope. Um. No Dynavolt Tower decks. Nope. Vehicles. Three blue white flash decks. Ah, there it is. Surprise, kids! Flash is good. Yes. Doing it was uh, your opponent's Steve, turn is strong. Yeah, Steve Haddo, Luis Salvado, and Alvaro Sanchez Lopez all, um, all went nine and one in the Swiss with their, which is essentially like the, those three decks plus Joy Manor's decks all looked roughly within the same ish seventy five. I would say maybe they had a couple card difference. I know Steve Haddo wasn't playing Rattle Chains. Yeah. Um, neither was Salvado, but it's very close. Remember, Reflector Mage is still a hell of a card. It's, yeah, it's still really good. You know, if you're playing, if you want, if you're expecting to play against creatures, you can't go wrong with a Reflector Mage. Oh yeah, and we we even saw Westville Abbey back yeah. in Joy Manor's deck, and actually did some work. Oh yeah, making like, making little dudes. I mean, remember the little guys off of Westville Abbey crew those smugglers copters. They they certainly do. Also, remember that Spellqueller can counter a Etherworks Marvel. So there's that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty okay. Pretty pretty decent. Uh, I already kind of mentioned one of the other decks that we saw was Black Green Delirium. Um, Eric Froelich helped take it to a 8-0 on day one. I forgot. I did not see where Eric finished up the day. He, um, I think he kind of went downhill from there, but I, he went eight and two in the Swiss. I think he bombed one of his drafts. Yeah, I think he, I think he just tanked his day two draft. But the Green Black Delirium deck's a little bit more aggressive than last time. It's playing Smuggler's Copters. I think a few of them have Mind Rack Demons in them. Um, but it's just same plan as last time, just no Embercools. Yeah, it's literally just the the what is looking for delirium on is usually Grim Flare, getting you that uh plus two plus two. Yeah, that card's good, man. It's really good. Which brings but, us to the deck that Ian and I are the most excited about. Sean McLaren took a version of oh, this, but it wasn't it wasn't our deck though. It wasn't the the Palmer. yeah. Because Sean McLaren was on a different version of the deck. So the deck is red green energy. Um, Sean McLaren's deck had zero electrostatic pummelers, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, thing thing needs to be mentioned. It's actually had a Sky Sovereign in it. <laughs> I wouldn't enough. play that card so, right now in that deck. Deck deck name deck naming conventions are a bit crazy, and just saying green red energy. It's like okay, what kind of energy? Like this one had two Chandra, some Lathmu Hellions in it, Voltaic Brawlers looking, you know, get some pumps and stuff off of that. But then there's the combo deck, or as what people were saying, it's essentially infected standard. This was the deck I played at the PPTQ, and for the deck name, I literally said Standard Infect. Yeah, so this one, you, the sheer power comes out of, you can get a four, like swing for 40 with Trample on turn four. Yes. With which card? With the lovely Electrostatic Pummeler, which was actually my promo 
at game or at the pre-release, so I have a pre-release promo promo of them, so I only need to get three. But it's the uh, Pummeler is a three mana artifact creature construct. It's a one-one. When it enters the battlefield, you get three energy. You can then pay three energies and activate ability where Pummeler gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is its power. And you're like, well, that's pay three energy, get plus one plus one. Unless you're playing basically the entire decent suite of pump spells that exist in standard. So Ian, <laughs> let me let me paint a picture from you from my round four of the PPTQ, okay? Take it away, buddy. I was playing this deck. I was playing roughly the same 75, not counting the sideboard, because I didn't have the same sideboard that Willie Adel and his testing team had. Yeah. So, um, on my, I never want to die roll the entire Swiss until the sixth round. So I'm on Damn. the I'm on the draw, which is not where I want to be. My mm-hmm. opponent goes Botanical Sanctum Go. All right. Okay. No, no, they go Sanctum Narwhal Dryad. Oh. So can you guess the deck off the off of that? Yeah, it's the. Uh, I would assume one of the. What's it called? Wait, that's not playing it. What? What deck is that? Teamer Emerge is playing it. Oh, right, right, yeah, Teamer Emerge. Okay. Because, because you know the Emerge creatures are still in standard and they're still good. Uh, I go, I go like Ether Hub Go, and then they attack me for two. They attack me for one. Then Take on my it. turn two, I play Servant of the Conduit. So I am at three energy right now. Yep. Uh, my opponent then goes, attack again, Filigree Familiar, go to 22. And I'm like, okay, I go, land, Pummeler, I'm at like seven or eight energy. I think I cast into Tune with the Aether on turn one, actually, or like that. But basically, I have like okay. eight energy in the pool. Okay, so Tune with the Aether gives you two. Aether Hub gives you one. So that's three, but you use green to pay. Servant of the Conduit gives you two that puts you at four. Voltaic Brawler gives you three no, no, that no, puts I, you... No, I play... Sorry, I play Pummeler. Okay, I'm mean, bad. Pummeler gives Pummeler you three. I have like seven or so eight you're, energy. you're at seven at that point. I'm at seven or eight. It's one of the two. You're at seven. So my opponent then goes land go on... Oh, baby. ...on turn four. Now, that th- effectively this is the nut draw because basically what you want to do with the Pummeler deck is you want to play those exact cards with blossoming, de- blossoming Defense up on turn three, which is what I was representing. So then I... Look at, I draw my card for turn. I look at my hand. I go, okay. I, I would like to go. To, I tell my opponent I want to go to combat. My opponent goes, okay. That was their first mistake. I attack with my pummeler. They block with their gnarlwood dryad. I go, okay. I would like to cast built to smash, targeting my pummeler. Built to smash being the red instant from Kaladesh that gives target attacking creature plus three plus three, and if it's an artifact, it gains trample. My Peace. opponent then responds with Kozilek's return. I then go, okay. I would like to respond. Built to smash. My opponent goes. <laughs> Okay, Built to Smash resolves. Uh, Kozilek's Return resolves, killing all the other creatures, leaving me with a 4-4 Electrostatic Pummeler with Trample. With a Built to Smash still on the stack. With with Built to Smash still on the stack, making it a 7-7. I cast my third copy of Built to Smash, making it a 10-10. Yes, John. Double to 20, double to 40, 40 you on turn 4. Get wrecked. That is one of that is a, a line of play in that deck. Uh, I'll actually post my 75 in the, in the show notes that I played at the PPTQ. Um... And I was only running three built to smash in the main. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting four in mine. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go to the list that you tweeted out or you you showed me uh, a few days ago, which had which had all four of them in the main. And I, I kind of like that version, but rush of adrenaline is not a bad way as well to get. No. Um, it's there's they're just playing a one of rush of adrenaline's the plus two plus one gets trample. Which... Yeah, and that's great on your brawlers, on your servants, on your bristling hydras, which are also in the deck, which is probably your best creature aside yeah. from pummeler. Yeah, Bristling um, Hydra is by far like probably the best creature in that deck. It's the two green green four three Hydra. When it enters the battlefield, you get three energy. You can pay three energy, put a plus one plus one counter on Bristling Hydra. It gets hexproof until end of next or until end of turn. Yeah. So you can you literally just pay three three energy. Like okay, you play Bristling Hydra. Say go. You have three energy right there, ready to go. You have built in hexproof. They have to have two spells to get rid of it. That turn. That turn. Yeah. And you usually have more energy at that point. You usually have around, you know, six to seven, maybe even nine energy at that point. So your Hydra is pretty secure uh, when it comes to that turn. And then that's even ignoring the fact that you also play four Blossoming Defense in the deck. Because you definitely want your creatures to survive. Which is why the curve that I explained of, you know, turn two Servant, turn three Pummeler leaving up Blossoming Defense is so key. Because then you just use your other pump spells to just run over the opponent. Yeah, like, so this, this, play, is, this, this is, deck plays larger than life. Larger yeah. than life. Yeah, I saw that, and I was like, maybe this gets an infect? Who knew that I'd be playing it in standard instead? 
I mean, it's great. I mean, even the Black Green Delirium decks were playing Blossoming Defense that I ran into. No, Blossoming Defense is a really good card. Yeah. Um, but the uh, thing I was looking at is this is very much like like we call it standard effect. It's it only plays twenty lands. <laughs> it has a mana dork at unfortunately it's a two, but well, and you have to pay energy for and you have to huh? Well, you can't always get what you want. Yeah, sometimes you get what you need though. A two with the ether is the secret MVP of that deck. Just being able to basically have effectively twenty four lands, not counting the mana dorks. Oh that's yeah, pretty, and that's, that's, and that's huge. Well, yeah, and that's why you're able to play get away with twenty lands because, with the exception of three mountains in your deck, you can potentially get that. Oh, okay, three mountains and three cinder blade. You can get that out on turn one. Now, here's the other thing. Um, the version of the deck that Ian is referencing is the one that. Um, uh, I forget his first name. Burton. Sandy Dog MTG. Yes. I forget his first name. Uh, Brandon Burton. Brandon Burton. He was playing a list with four game trails, three cinder glades, uh, four ether hubs, and a bunch of basics. The list that I took to the PPTQ was based off of Willie Adel's list at the PT, which its mana base was four game trails, four ether hubs, and then 12 basics. Yeah. That way you never have a land that effectively enters play tapped. Yeah, cinder glade is... Kind it's of awkward. feels bad. Very awkward. But I can see why some of them were playing it in there. I am definitely not going to play Cinder Glade in it because I've kind of goldfished a little bit of it. And I'm like, eh, this just doesn't feel good. When I mean, Game Trail kind of stinks when you when you need like a fourth land. And you've already played three and you're like, well, the center's tapped. But at that point, I think whatever. you really do need the eight um, dual lands and you definitely need a dual land that doesn't cost any. So I can see why you would play more, why you would play Cinder Glades. But I do feel like the 12 basic eight non-basic mana base is correct. Yeah, but it, it's one of those, like, I'm sure the land base can be tweaked and tuned to however you like, but yeah. this is a very interesting deck. Like, So we mentioned that some decks were splashing for uh, some blue cards based off their Aether Hubs. Some of the sideboards in some of these decks were actually more of a teamer pummeler kind of thing. They had an island in the sideboard. They would side and sideboard in the island so they could hit it off with their Attune with Aether. They'd probably take out a forest, I think. So they'd Tomb with Aether, take out a forest. You can hit Dispel and Negate. And or one of these lists, rejection. one of these lists that went seven and three was playing four Fevered Visions in the sideboard, as well as, as <laughs> as well as a Nissa Vital Force. Uh, <laughs> it like man. switch. It switches to like an almost mid rangey kind of deck. That's kind of silly. With that sideboard, Personally, I can kind of having played the deck at the PPTQ. I don't think that I would do the blue splash only because. If you want to play Marvel against me, that's fine. I'll kill you. <laughs> oh, I know. But, like, some of these – I just, like, I don't know what. Like, I'm trying to wrap my head, like, what matchup you would even bring the Fevered Visions in against. So so let me – I'll just go ahead and tell you the, the matchups I played in the, during, during, the, during the PPTQ. Round 1, I played Marvel. I beat them 2-0. Round 2, I played the Mirror and lost 2-1. Yeah. Um, we were the only two people on the deck, by the way. We had almost the, the exact same 75 also, um, with a few exceptions. Round three, I played against um, round. Uh, was round three? No, round three was not against um, Teamer. It was against. Oh god, what was it against? Now that one might have been, actually been against Teamer Emerge. No, no, no. That one was that one was against Teamer Emerge. Because in round four, I played against. Um, round four was against the Green Black Delirium deck, and I lost. Then round five, I played against uh, Green White Humans and won. Um, and then again, then in round six, I played against Black White Control and won. In the top eight, I played the mirror match again because I was the eight seed and he was the one seed, and I beat him. Then in the top four, I lost to the Green Black Delirium deck. I lost to in the Swiss, and the Green Black Delirium deck, the the Black Green Delirium deck ended up winning the P PPTQ. So against like those decks, I could see the negates being useful in like one to two of those matchups, and I don't even think I care. <laughs> like I just don't even think I care. <laughs> it's weird, but. Oh, yeah. I, it's, I don't know. The the standard is definitely an interesting thing right now. Um, you've, either, you've got aggro, Aetherworks. Oh, we didn't even mention Colossus decks. Those things are kind of hilarious, too. Oh, yeah, too. the Teamer Colossus decks. Those decks are really cool. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I would play it, but it's really cool. No, I know some people think it's fun. It's a fun deck. It's So Metalwork, it's trying to cheat out the Metalwork Colossus, which is the 11 mana 10-10, which costs X less to cast, where X is the total converted mana cost of non-creature artifacts you control. So remember, your servers don't count, thopters don't count. Well, servers and thopters don't count because their CMC is zero. 
roll, but yeah. Foundry Inspector only counts as minus one for its ability, not minus three. Right. So what's great is it play, it's playing four prophetic prisms, four puzzle, Weaver's Puzzle Knot, Cultivator Caravan, which is the Mana Rock, Deadlock Traps, Hedron Archive, Sky Sovereigns. And this is just like, okay, ramp and just go all out at getting a bunch of artifacts down so you can basically have like a three mana 1010. Uh, LSV already did a video series on the standard the standard uh, Colossus decks, and oh boy, does it look sweet! Yeah, just go check that out. You can find that on Channel Fireball, I'm assuming. So yes, and that's kind of mostly it for standard. Like we had red white vehicles, we had a bunch of the red white aggro decks, we had Mardu vehicles. There's a, there's also a red black aggro deck that has been um, putting up good results. Uh, I also know that there's some like mono white mid range decks that are playing Thought Not Seen and Reality Smasher because those are still good cards. If I could find a way to put a reality True. smasher into t- into red green energy, I would. <laughs> the card is silly good. Uh, oh, it's so good, dude. It's so good. But yeah, there's there's some red black aggro decks that were just low to the ground playing Bomat Courier. It's my license disintegrations. It's there's there there's stuff out there. There's Grixis Emerge. Yeah, yeah. there. If you Standard my recommendation is, is go solved. look at correct. Yeah, and I'm happy about that. One thing I'm curious is how energy is going to work in upcoming sets. Well, I don't think we'll see energy again for a while. Right, it's a very parasitic. Well, um, it, it becomes less parasitic the more the more energy cards we get, and we could have the parasitism debate about energy because I'm very, I think I'm very well versed in that debate at this point because I've had it like five times. Oh no, but, no, no, I'm yeah, I'm just saying more of just like okay, one shot this, wait till we get rotation, this rotates out, and then maybe bring back energy at some other point. You can't splash on energy in a set. Uh, yeah, like, Mark said that he tried to bring it in during Shards of Alora for the Esper mechanic, but it just, in order for it to work in Limited, you need a lot of it. And, I mean, I haven't counted the number of cards in Kaladesh that use energy, or the number of commons, which is probably the more important number. But you, you can see that it goes through, it permeates the set. Yeah, like, and that's if what you look you at the red-green energy deck, like or the Pummeler decks, like, almost every card in it makes or uses energy. Yeah, they have wingdings all over the place, which is important. Yes. But we didn't, I mean, I didn't, unfortunately, it was busy at part portion this weekend to get to catch a lot of drafts, but man, Shota's day two draft. Oh, man. Boy. So Shota, Shota um, took, got like a fourth pick Etherworks Marvel, and he was like, this card's good, I'll take it. Pack three, he opens another Etherworks Marvel after drafting mostly blue with a little bit of red, then gets a fourth pick Noxious Gear Hulk and just completely pivots into black. And in his first match against Eric Froelich, he makes three Noxious Gear Hulks twice. Yeah, he's like, he played a Noxious Gear Hulk, killed something, passed the turn. Turn comes back, plays Sahili's artistry, targeting the Gear Hulk as the artifact and the creature. And then it's just like, how do you beat that? You don't really. And you did two games back to back. That's just silly. Yeah, and Eric was not a happy camper after that game because he didn't really get to play. Also, uh, also insane on-camera drafts. Uh, first draft of the weekend was they were watching Marcio Carvalho, who was the draft master last year. Uh, he was drafting a red-white deck. He got like a third pick to Paula, felt really good about it. His deck was pretty mediocre going into pack three, and then he gets a fourth pick Chandra, yeah. which really fourth solidified pick, his deck. Fourth pick Chandra will only happen at top-level drafts like that. You will yeah, not see that go past. Someone will hate draft the hell out of it at your FNM. Yeah. Like at at on Monday, I opened or I got I opened no I got past the Sahili's artistry in pack three, like third pick, and I passed it. And the player to my left hate drafted it, super early, and I'm like, why did you do that? The card's not even worth any money. It's I would love to just have a whole thing of just don't hate draft, just don't don't do it, please. We can we can talk about it another time, but yes, another big thing that happened we need to cover this is. Rotations changed again. Yes, Aaron Forsyth put up an article on the Mothership talking about how they're going to be changing rotation back to the way it was before, where instead of it being tied to each new set release, or each new block release, I should say, uh, they're changing it back to the annual change, where it's the third set released in the year. So, in this case, it's going to be the set released after Hour of Devastation, which is the second set of the Amonkhet block, or the North American Fall set. Um, and what that basically means is that now you're, you're going to have two blocks that are essentially paired together and rotate out at the same time. 
So BFZ and Shadows of Innistrad are going to rotate out at the same time. Kaladesh and Amonkhet, those blocks are going to rotate out at the same time. Yeah, uh, so the original article was by Morrow in August of 2014. So that was right around Khan's block, which we saw the schism or happen in those blocks, which granted it kind of worked with the time travel mechanic. You had the pat, you had the, the current, the current timeline, quote unquote. And then you go back to the past, change the past, come back to a new f- current timeline and you get rid of the past stuff. When you, rotation happens, we it made it kind of wonky, but it also helped us end core sets with origins. But the crazy part is, is like, the set that was like the first set that's going to come out that's going to be these new two two block sets like it's fully geared towards two blocks is battle for zendikar and oath of the gatewatch and it's like cool to be fair that that block or battle for zendikar design started with it being a three set block shadows of innistrad was the first block designed as a two set block right so but even then it's that's where it makes it incredibly incredibly awkward because the the first set that's supposed to that was ushering in the new era of rotation is going to be the first set rotating out going back to the old style. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really weird for a little bit um because now that they they've the, changed the, rotation again, but Yeah. What what the uh, people were actually at, well, the big concern I asked you John and almost got answered right away by flicking through my Twitter feed was how does this affect Amonkhet? How does this affect things? Is there anything in Amonkhet that was designed with Battle for Zendikar or with the thought in mind that Battle for Zendikar doesn't exist anymore in standard? And there, and Aaron replied, Amonkhet is not finished. We are currently spending, they're basically spending all of their time right now focusing on changing Amonkhet around here and there with that Battle for Zendikar block being in mind. So they are aware of it. They are working to fix it. I mean, or, Amonkhet should be going to the printers, like, really soon. Yeah, like, they are doing some... I'm assuming at this point they've already been tweaking it. And this was just one of those, like... Like, they've yeah, known for probably, like, a few months, is what I yeah. would assume. But even then, like, if a bunch of last-minute changes are happening so that, you know, Gideon doesn't get broken with Amonkhet, or that, like, Thought Not Seer doesn't just suddenly break the format halfway open, I mean... Yeah. I could mess with it. Like, you know what? Uh, you know another card that was broken because of a last-minute change. Tell me, John. Umazawa's Jite. <laughs> if you oh. haven't heard this story, Umazawa's Jite, which is a two-mana legendary equipment that equips for two. Uh, whenever the creature deals combat damage, you put two counters on it, and you can remove a counter to do one of three things. You can either have the equipped creature get plus two plus two, target creature get minus one minus one, or gain two life. It used to read before they did the last-minute change plus two, plus two to the equipped creature, gain two life, add a black mana to your mana pool. Because it was Toshiro, or it was, um, yeah, it was Toshiro Umazawa's Jite, and Toshiro is a black character. So they wanted all the abilities to be black-aligned abilities. And what does black do? It has the shade ability, it can pump creatures, it can gain life, because it's black, it does that, and it can make black mana. But they changed it because they didn't want an equipment that made mana, so they instead made it so that it gave creatures minus one, minus one, thus making it the most broken equipment ever made. It's disgusting. Yeah. But so the thing is they players were they got a lot of feedback from players saying like with all these extra rotations, it's going to be hard to keep up. Decks rotate out. You don't keep your cards as often, but like, oh, it makes it nice and fresh. But players like, yeah, but I'm investing money in this game and I don't keep getting my cards around as lot as long. Plus, you say something like Thunderbreak region, for instance, great card from Dragons of Tarkir saw a lot of play when that was the the hit in standard. After that, like more sets started coming out, didn't see it a whole lot at the time. It was like a ten ten dollar card. Then dropped down to four bucks. Didn't see Dana Sun. I don't think it would still be around today necessarily. Um, if the old blocks had been around in terms of playability wise, uh, no, that would have been rotating out as as soon as Kaladesh came out. Well, no, no, I'm just talking about playability wise and stuff yeah. like that. But you you'd get cards that would just rotate out playability wise too. That you're like, well, I wanted to play with this card longer. So, yeah, and the big and the big concern was we haven't even mentioned that is that it was it was oppressive to the new and casual players, not to the pros. Um, and I've already seen some things where you know there are some pros apparently at the pro tour talking about we're glad that things are rotating quickly that way we don't get too many Etherworks Marvel decks running around too long. Um, could could you imagine collected company running around a little longer? Oh no, 
please. I mean, Coco will still technically be rotating out at this point, but even then, like, no, we we did not need. We don't need another eight, eight months or six months of Coco. Best the best um the best thing I saw about this was a post from I believe Reddit, and it's like the Rosewater has seen his shadow. Six more months of standard. Oh, no, I think it was six more months of battle for Zendikar, but ba- same joke. Yeah, basically um, six more months of battle. It's like yes. Yeah. Um. Now this is the kind of the big thing that that Aaron Forsyth announced, and for those who don't know, Aaron Forsyth I believe is the vice president of R and D. So he is the boss of the entire R&D department. Like he is Mark Rosewater's boss. He is Eric, Eric Lauer's boss. Director, director of R&D. Director of R&D. There we go. Um, and the one thing that I'm concerned with, and this is not something that I've seen yet, when we went to the two set blocks, um, there's a few things that people were worried about, and they were worried about whether or not development would be able to connect the themes of one set with the two sets that are with the two blocks preceding it and the two blocks that would be succeeding it in standard. Because, you know, it would have been basically that, you know, Kaladesh had to play well, not only with, you know, Battle for Zendikar and Shadows, but Amonkhet, and I think the new the next block is Laughs? No, uh, yes. it's Barrel yes, of Laughs, and no, no, yes. Ham. Yeah, so it's yeah. Ham. Ham and, ham, block the, is. ham and Eggs. Ham and Eggs are the, the set after Amonkhet. Or, yeah, the block after Amonkhet. So now... It's Return to Theros. We don't know this. <laughs> We don't know. I'm joking. I would love a return to Theros, but I we don't know nothing. Anyways, now Kaladesh not only has to play well with you know um, BFZ and Shadows and Amonkhet and Ham, but it also has to play well with the block after Ham, which I don't remember it. I know we know what the code word is, but we don't know the, anything else about it. Yeah, I, we didn't have it pull up. Um, in terms it's on, of like it's the, on, the graphic, it's on the graphics, the graphics stop. Oh yeah, the graphics stops at eggs, which is the spring 2018 set. Yeah. So we're already talking. We're already talking about fall 2018 uh, and spring 2019 at this point. Yeah, basically. Um, so those. So now, not only does a set now have to play well with the two sets before it and the two sets after it, it has to play well with three sets before it and three sets after it because it's going to be in standard with at most three other blocks. So it's we're gonna have a little bit of a rough patch where some of these de- some of these sets have already been started to gear like towards three sets and then have to get shifted to or geared towards two sets and have to get shifted back to three sets. I don't know if we'll ever they'll ever say it, but if you look at how Battle for Zendik, the Battle Block and Shadows Block have a very nice little theme where Shadows over Innistrad is this set that's kind of jammed in the middle. Between Eldrazi sets? between between the three Eldrazi Titans, I think okay. A, I think that argument is BS. No, I know, but I'm saying, but it, it just makes kind of for a little bit of a giant transition, and we might see something kind of similar. Like we said, Battle for Zendikar was a three block set initially when it started its design. It got shifted down to two. Themes had to be cut. Now they're going to have to take sets that are might be decently along and have to expand them out into th- potential three, but. This point, though, they're looking at tw- sets in 2019, 2020. Yeah, like they, they plan far ahead. Right, and that's why they announced it now. So that, like you said, 2019 is the first time we're going to see a three block, or 2018 will be the first time we see a three block set again. Yeah, like this time two years from now. Yeah, so we're we'll have some time to deal with it. They'll be able to work some of the kinks out that way. I don't think it's going to be as nearly as jarring of a transition. So, they might they might just have to be like, all right, let's just reach into the binder and see what uh, other cool mechanics we can pull out and put in the set that work well and mesh well with it. We might just end up with a bunch of uh, evergreen mechanics popping back up again en masse. Yeah, well, the, my bottom line is that I trust the developers and the people in R&D to know what they're doing and they, and they know how to do their thing. And hopefully it's not too challenging for everybody involved to uh, to get everything in the right place. Oh yeah, and we're at like a place where we can just sit back and wait. Yeah, because I mean, Kaladesh is still. We, we new. have time. We have time to freak out about this. We don't have to freak out now. Yeah, Kaladesh we is still. We can worry about this later down the road in two years when we see how the set looks. Because um, you know, I'm just going to take a wait and see approach on this. One fun, interesting thing to note, though, is the very first thought I had when I saw this. There was like, oh yeah, standard. They're rising standard rotation back to three sets. I'm like, so about that magic online redemption policy, which they yeah. just changed to literally be as soon as the block. So it used to be 
it's like entire life in standard, it would be legal for redemption. Uh, by the way, Ian, real quick, what does it mean to redeem a set on Magic Okay, Online? so redeeming a set, if you have one of each card in the set, now for sets with uh, inventions or expeditions in it, those do not count as part of the redemption. But if you have a full set, say, of foils on Magic Online, just one of each card in the set of Battle for Zendikar, you can pay, I haven't checked the Last price, I saw I was $25. If you pay $25, you get like this kind of like token thing in the, in the Magic Online store. You redeem the token, and they take your whole set of digital uh, foils, and you turn them in. You have, with your account set up, your home address where you live. They will then send you a white box that's about the size of maybe, I could say you could fit maybe a PlayStation controller in the box. It's about that big. Just a little white box of cards, one of every card in the set, in foil or regular, and you get that in paper. So it's a great way to turn your digital money into actual hard product. This is a great way for bot people, you know, bot owners, people who are really heavily into trading online to generate money off it. However, they've changed that to when the block changes over to the next block, redemption ends. So whereas Battle for Zendikar is still was still technically able to be redeemed until it gets out of standard, now based, I don't know if it's already gone, but like, so for instance, we would have had Kaladesh redeemable through 2018. Now, as soon as Amonkhet comes out, no more redemption. Another way to look at it is that once Kaladesh came out, the entire Shadows of, Shadows of Innistrad block would not be redeemable. Yeah, it's so all of a sudden it's like, well, now how am I supposed to transfer value out of these cards that I'm just drafted like three weeks ago? And it was one thing at like the end of a format right before it would go out. They would have like some of the triple, you know, triple cons draft or whatever like that. And people would just be like, oh, I need like these five or six cards left. Let me go draft a bunch and see if I can hit hit it and acquire it and just now have some fun with an old set before it goes away. And just naturally acquire your, your remaining of your redemption set. I don't know how to feel about it. Um, I'm not huge into the economy side of the game, but I do know that people are already kind of moaning about redemption. And this just makes them go, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah. Even more. I mean, there's pros and cons to the new redemption policy. Same thing with the treasure chests. And we didn't really get too deep into that. And I don't think that we are necessarily the right place to get too oh, deep no. into that. But Oh, there, there are people who have crunched those numbers out yeah, there. We don't have to. We don't have to do that. But as far as – funnily enough, I was also seeing people mentioning the redemption thing, also mentioning treasure chests. And reception hasn't – has been lukewarm that I've seen with those treasure chests. Yeah. Cool idea, but I don't know. Either way, I'm kind of just waiting to see where rotation goes from here. Yep. And it's, it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, I know standard. I've been enjoying it a lot lately. I haven't. I've been w enjoying watching it. I haven't gotten a chance to play any games with it yet. But I do have a deck online. I getting the deck in paper because it was cheap. Yeah, Electric Tentacle is still on a sub one hundred one hundred dollar deck. So yeah, it's actually. You budget, yeah. It's it's a budget combo deck that's fun, and you know you can win some games with it. So oh, yeah. check it out. There's other decks too. Standard is actually in a really good place in terms of money wise. You're looking at most decks between a hundred to three hundred dollars. Yeah, depending and on a how lot many of lilies and planeswalkers and whatever else you need. Yeah, a lot of the decks that push like three hundred, four hundred dollars have like three or four of planeswalker. Yeah. These are Avisons and Mythics, in. but you can you can still go budget and have fun. So check oh, yeah. the format out. It's great. John, it really is. Yo. it's about that time. It is about that time, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so Ian, if people wanted to find you somewhere other than on this podcast, where would they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. Uh, I put up a poll on Twitter today, and it's asking, because I want to stream this weekend. I got a couple things. I got a Lego X-Wing set, but I also got a box of Kaladesh. And so far, last I checked, that was still leading the vote. I'm going to crack one on stream probably on Sunday. So follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitch. You'll find out when I'm going to crack a box for zero value. Woo! And John, what about you? Where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. That is J-W-I-L-E-Y-129. I'm also on Twitch by the same handle. And if I could be streaming right now, I would. But I can't. But I don't. Because womp womp. womp womp. 
Um, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach the podcast on Twitter at Eyes on the Mize. Or if you have a more personal question, you can reach us on or by email at Eyes on the Mize at gmail.com. Please remember to give us your feedback. We want to hear how we can help improve the show. Uh, I'm thinking uh, mailbag next week. Next week or the week after seems good. Yeah. We'll iron out the details. We'll send a tweet out for your mailbag questions sometime incess- in the next two weeks. We will incessantly pester you online about this, listeners. Yes, <laughs> yes we will. All right. In any case, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>